There must be some way out of here Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief Businessmen, they drink my wine Plowmen dig my earth None of them along the line Know what any of it is worth So back in September of last year, I had the honor to get involved with this Bob Dylan Mass at a local Episcopal church, Christ Episcopal Church in Covington, and we were putting together this Bob Dylan Mass that would be basically, I think, about 12 Bob Dylan songs in their Sunday liturgy, and as part of doing that, I, I was actually asked to teach a class on Bob Dylan. So I did this class entitled Blowing in the Wind, The Spirituality of Bob Dylan. And I was really excited to do the class, but partly because it allowed me the opportunity to study Bob Dylan. as the first time that I actually came across the term Dylanologist. Apparently, there is a whole field of study out there. <laughs> Of Bob Dylan. Um, and one night when I was teaching one of the classes, I dug each week I would dig into a different song that Bob Dylan had written. And on one particular night, I was teaching on probably the most covered song by Bob Dylan all along the Watchtower. It's been covered by everybody from Jimi Hendrix to U2 to Dave Matthews Band. Uh, if you look it up on Spotify, you can find tons of versions of that song. And while that song is the most covered by Bob Dylan, I think it is a song that most people just don't really understand the lyrics at all or even pay attention to it. I, I could definitely say that for myself. But as I started looking at the lyrics and paying attention to what was going on and, and kind of contemplating it, I, I, I th and certainly along the lines with even looking at Bob Dylan from a biographical sense of what was going on in his life, I think some of the meaning in it began to emerge. The song starts off this way. There must be some kind of way out of here, said the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion here. I can't get no relief. Businessmen, they drink my wine. Plowmen, till my earth. But none of them out on the line know what any of this is worth. All Along the Watchtower is, is a rare song in Bob Dylan's canon. <laughs> it's, a, it's one of the shortest songs that he wrote uh, for a guy who was frequently wrote songs that had more than 10 verses, some 15, 20 verses, but all along the watchtower doesn't doesn't have much going on in it, but I think it was in part Bob Dylan's response to what had become of Bob Dylan by this point in his career. Just a few years before, Bob Dylan was just a guy in his early twenties who had moved from 
Minnesota to the Big Apple and was you know, trying to find his way into the scene at, in Greenwich Village. But by this point, Bob Dylan had become a cultural icon. He'd become the kind of artist that everybody was referencing because, as many saw it, he was the voice of a generation. There were countless artists, uh, you know, particularly in the civil rights, that were covering songs like Blowing in the Wind or The Chimes of Freedom or With God on Our Side. And many wanted to push Bob Dylan into that genre of just being a protest songwriter, and he resisted that, thankfully. <laughs> but what I see in the opening of All Along the Watchtower, I, I believe Bob Dylan is actually the character of the Joker. And this opening line is really Bob Dylan's response to what's going on. Businessmen, they drink my wine, plowmen till my earth, but none of them out on the line know what any of this is worth. In other words, Bob Dylan is the cultural icon, the voice of a generation. He was being quoted by leaders, politicians, everybody in the know. It became a trendy thing to quote Bob Dylan. But what he's saying here is that though many are up for drinking his wine or plowing his earth, most people don't get what he's even saying. They don't really understand it. They're not even engaging in it in, in the type of way that would allow the wisdom to truly emerge. And as I've thought of this over the last few months, both as a songwriter myself and even the spiritual implications of it, it, it reminded me of a story from the Gospels. Jesus had a preferred way of teaching, which is very different from the popular ways of teaching in our modern world today. <laughs> you know, you go to a class, I, I'm actually taking some classes right now online, and basically you read information, you take quizzes, you take a final exam. So the exam basically gauges your ability to memorize facts. And that was certainly the case when I was in college. <laughs> Most of what I learned in college was just that. You memorize facts, you regurgitate them on a test. But there is certainly a difference between information or knowledge that's in your head versus the knowledge that comes through experience. And... In this particular story in the Gospels, Jesus is kind of frustrating his disciples. He's just shared another parable, which it was his favorite mode of teaching. And we think of parables oftentimes as, you know, stories with a moral, you know, a point. But the point's not that obvious. In fact, I don't even think parables should be understood as a story with a point, I think the beauty of parables or any great stories, whether they go back to ancient Samaria or from the Bible or even modern stories like Star Wars, the stories that stick with us, they have something that distills the essence of human experience and our attempts to connect with the divine and justice and righteousness and beauty and all these things. They distill those into a narrative framework that you can 
encounter wisdom at so many different levels. So Jesus has just finished sharing a parable, the parable of the sower. And later on, he's hanging out with his disciples, and his disciples are like, dude, why can't you just tell us what we're supposed to do? (laughs) Just tell us the rules. Give us the information. Why these stories? (laughs) Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that just basic, you know, just just tell me what I'm supposed to do. We don't want to be bothered with digging into something. We we just want the answers. Just just tell me what to do. And Jesus, his answer is probably just as frustrating as the parables themselves. Jesus quotes Isaiah, a prophet from the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament. And this comes from uh, like Isaiah chapter 6, I believe. And Jesus says basically, most people are going to hear, but they're not really going to hear. Most people are going to see, but they're not really going to perceive. Though people have hearts, most people aren't going to really understand what this is about. But blessed are you guys because you have ears and you actually hear. You have eyes and you actually see. You're being awakened to something that I'm saying and that I'm doing, and it's it's actually causing you to see the world in a different way. It's, it's actually bringing forth transformation. Now, I remember as, as a young Christian in my early 20s coming across this story, and at, at that point, I, you know, when I came to faith in my early 20s, I was you know, immediately jumped in with a version of Christianity that was very conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist, and the whole point, you know, when it came to anything was being very explicit about your beliefs. You know, this would be the guys at football games that hold up signs that say John 316 or, uh, you know, if even if you went to a Christian bookstore back in the 90s, there were so many products that had gospel verses emblazoned on them. I mean, you could get these things back then called testaments. <laughs> Christian mints. <laughs> Why pay a buck for Tic Tacs when you could pay two bucks for testaments and share your faith with every mint that you pass out? It would have John 316 on it or Christian bumper stickers or Christian t-shirts or you name it. And there's a whole cottage industry that exists to this day of movies that are mostly not very good that are Christian movies. But the mentality, and and I lived in this, and I embraced this mentality for many years, was that the only reason to to write a song would be if that song could explicitly contain the gospel message. And yet, when we look at the guy who came up with the gospel, the good news, Jesus, Jesus did not teach that way. Jesus wasn't terribly explicit in most of his teaching methods, whether you read the prodigal, the, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the sower, pick, pick one of his parables. I think the reason that these stories stand the test of time is precisely because meaning is more implicit than explicit. And to engage, you know, to, to really engage these stories in a way that brings you some kind of benefit requires more than just listening to them. I mean, 
I'll just use the example from the beginning of this episode, All Along the Watchtower. I've heard that song hundreds of times in my life. I've sung that song many times at gigs. And yet, it wasn't until a few months ago that I actually sat down and started paying attention to the meaning, and and I, I started realizing there's some really profound stuff going on in here. And this reminds me of another story. I think it was probably 12 or 13 years ago I read the story, and some of you may be familiar with it. There was this little social experiment that was put together to try to ascertain whether people in just the goings-on of their day-to-day life would realize good music when it was being played in a subway. So to for this experiment, they enlisted one of the top violinists in the world today, a guy by the name of Joshua Bell, and they had Joshua Bell down in a subway in Washington, D.C. And, and if you've never been in a subway, I obviously, you know, if you live down in my part of the country, subways aren't even a thing. But if you've never been in a subway, subways actually have amazingly good acoustics for music, you know, acoustic instruments. They've got good reverb. It's kind of the, you know, the quality of singing in the shower. Everybody sounds better in the shower because you've got reverb going on and stuff. So... They put Joshua Bell down in a subway, but instead of showing up in a suit surrounded by classical musicians, it was just him with a violin in jeans, a T-shirt, and a baseball cap. But this was no ordinary violin. This was a Stradivarius, I think, from the 1700s. One of perhaps you know the greatest instrument on planet Earth today. This, this instrument was valued at the time for... million. So here you have the best violinist in the world playing arguably the best instrument in the world. And the music that he was playing on it was some of the most technically challenging and beautiful music ever composed by the violin for, for the violin. So you've got the three greatest factors for good music, a good musician, (laughs) a good instrument and good music to play on that. And the acoustics aren't bad. So for the next 40-plus minutes, Joshua Bell proceeded to play. And over that time, over a 1,000 people passed by. Most people just were too busy, too distracted to pay attention. There were a handful of people that that actually paid attention, mostly for, you know, a few seconds, 10 or 20 seconds. There were a handful of people, though, that actually stopped and actually listened and realized what was going on. 
And out of that small group, there were a few of those that actually dropped a few bucks in his violin case. By the end of his performance, he made 36 bucks, I believe. <laughs> Which is not a lot of money <laughs> for a guy of that caliber who you know, just a few days before was playing in a concert hall where, you know, the admission price would have been a lot of money just to go get a seat and hear it. So what is, what is the conclusion of this experiment? Is it, does it say something that, that, you know, classical music can only be appreciated and understood as beautiful if you're in a concert hall. Does it say something about context? Uh, perhaps. But I think it really gets down to something about human attention. Most of our lives are spent just in busyness getting from one place to the next going about our lives, and we make very little room to actually sit down and pay attention to anything. <laughs> and look, you know, getting out your phone and uh, watching videos on, on Facebook or Instagram, that's not quite the attention that I'm talking about. There was beautiful music being played by one of the best there is to play them on the best instrument, and most people didn't realize it. They didn't hear it. They didn't have ears to hear it. They just kept busy. I am amazed that how many times, and, and I've really begun to, to, to see this over the last few years, that if I will just stop what I'm doing and pay attention to anything, <laughs> whether it's my own backyard or a piece of music or sit down with a good work of literature and just not be hurried, but just pay attention to the poetry, the writing, how often I encounter beauty and transcendence and wisdom. I mean, my own backyard, for instance. I mostly take my own backyard for granted. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite place, you know, and I've, I've mentioned many times on this podcast that you know, typically, if the weather's not too bad, I will sit on my back porch for an hour or two and listen to an audiobook or a podcast at the end of my day. And that's kind of the way I like to unwind, just kind of think about things in the dark. But I remember one night a few months back, I had my flashlight out and I was shining it in my backyard. And I noticed like there, there was all these little glowing spots all over my yard, hundreds of them. I had just assumed that they were dew on the grass, you know, I'm just seeing the reflection of dew, but I decided to go out there and look at one of these little glowing spots up close. And what I found was, oh my gosh, it's a spider, a little bitty spider. They're everywhere. My whole yard is covered in little arachnids. Good thing I, I had dealt with my arachnophobia over the years, or I would be totally freaked out and putting the house on the market and moving to another place. <laughs> as if you can find a place without spiders. But that's just a, a simple illustration that there, you know, in my own backyard, there is an entire ecosystem 
intricate that I just take for granted. I just go about my life, but it's like if I will actually pause and, and take a look at what's going on, I'm filled with awe and wonder. The same way I am if I actually just sit down and actually listen to music, not just have music on in the background while I'm going about my stuff, but, but actually sit down and pay attention to a song. Or we could apply this even to other people. How many times do we take for granted the people in our lives? We're just so busy and distracted where, you know, when they're talking, we're not really listening to them or, or maybe we listen to the information we, you know, we, we dialogue about some information and then we just go about our business. But to truly sit down and contemplate what this other person means to you, whether it's your spouse, your parent, a friend, or one of your own kids to sit down. And I've done this before, you know, you just sit down with a piece of paper. What are all the things that I appreciate about this person? And it's amazing. Inevitably, you write a few things down and then those trigger memories and you maybe start writing some of those memories down. Before you know it, you spend about 20 minutes doing that, you have awakened once again to the possibilities, the gifts, the beauty of this other person and what they mean. I think that is something of what Jesus was speaking to. Everybody has ears, but most people don't really hear. Everybody has eyes, but most people don't really see the truth. Most people don't see beauty. Most people don't experience transcendence. You know, in one of my last episodes on this podcast, when I was, uh, it may have been the last one, uh, I was interviewing Silicon Boone. And I made a statement in there, you know, that transcendence cannot be forced on someone. And, and it's true. You cannot force transcendence on another person. <laughs> and I think the mistake that so many musicians or teachers or you know, we, we make in life is that we are so trying to help people believe the way that we believe that there's no beauty in it. We're just creating propaganda. We're just marketing the same way that advertisers do. We're just posting memes to get our point across. There's no beauty in that. There's nothing memorable. There's nothing that shapes your soul or transforms you or brings you out of yourself. As a musician, as an artist, as a songwriter, I have to realize, just like Bob Dylan, just like Jesus, just like anybody who really does anything worth anything, that I am not creating music just to be popular or, or try to trying to make people happy. I want to write from an honest place. I want to write songs that stand the test of time. And mostly I don't, but I've written a few. <laughs> But I can, also, I can honestly say that I, I think the, the best songs that I've written over my life have been songs that were where the meaning was more implicit than explicit. It was something that required you to sit with and engage with and pay attention to before you would start uncovering the beauty. But I, honestly, I can say that the songs that have moved me over my entire life have been songs like that. 
I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently, you know, and this friend was like, you know, asking, I was, I was playing him some of my new songs. I'm like, well, what does this mean? I'm like, well, you know, what's it mean to you? Well, you know, I just think if this is what you're trying to say, you, you ought to be a little bit more uh, explicit with the way you're saying it. I'm like, no, no, I don't believe that. And I use the example of Tom Petty's song, Learning to Fly. For whatever reason, that's one of my favorite Tom Petty songs. It is one of the simplest songs. It's got four chords that are played over and over throughout the song. There's nothing difficult about it. I mean, even the actual recording of the song is not terribly inspiring, but the song has hit me in so many different ways over my life. I mean, when it came out, I think I was in high school when it came out, and and I liked it. Uh but I found that that in this song there is such a, a there's so much spiritual truth in it and wisdom. There's something that resonates with me. I'm learning to fly, but I ain't got wings. Coming down is the hardest thing. If that ain't life, <laughs> there are those moments where you feel like you're flying, yeah, where you're getting it. Things are getting off the ground, but you got to come back down. Now, it's interesting when you read about how Tom Petty came up with this song. He's just like, I was watching a documentary on people who train pilots. And they said, coming down is the hardest part about flying. So he wrote a song about it. <laughs> so when you when you listen to Bob, uh, uh, Tom Petty's version of even writing the song, there's nothing nothing awesome about the creation of it. And, and, and in a sense, it's not even like he was trying to make a big spiritual point. And yet, I know as a songwriter myself, some of the most spiritual songs I write is when I'm trying to write a spiritual song. Some of the songs that contain the most wisdom and the most beauty, the, the, the greatest offer for transcendence often come out of a place where I'm not trying at all to do anything. I'm just writing out of experience. But that is a window into transcendence. That is a song that comes back to me over and over again and that's just i've just mentioned the chorus but even the words of the song they hit on something they become a window into wisdom into beauty into something greater they resonate but it takes paying attention it takes sitting with something listening both as a person who engages with music and art and creation other people, and as someone who creates. So my hope, my prayer for myself and for anyone listening is that we could all make a little bit more time in our life for that. A little less time for arguing about Trump and Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) A little less time being distracted by all the craziness in our world to truly open our attention and our intentions towards people, towards the world around us, towards art and music and literature. That in doing so, we might experience beauty and truth and wisdom and be shaped by that and transformed and to even bring that to bear on our world. Thank you for listening 
to this episode of Extra Crispy. <laughs> 